Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Bioptimizers, an incredibly longtime sponsor of this podcast because they have amazing products that you continue to buy because they work. I think every one of my clients is certainly on mass zymes. I take that consistently every day. I like to take a lot. I like to take five in the morning on an empty stomach and then three to four with each of my high protein containing meals. This really helps me extract the protein from the meat and the ultimate protein sources that I'm consuming rather than just eating it and assuming that my body's going to utilize it. I want to make sure that my body can digest, absorb, and assimilate all these highly cost, uh, high cost proteins and high quality proteins that I'm consuming. It's not just about what you consume. It's about what your body can digest, absorb, and assimilate. So I highly suggest you head over to bioptimizers.com and use the code MUSCLE10 to get 10% off. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S, bioptimizers.com. Use the code MUSCLE10. They've also got an incredible suite of incredible products from P3OM to support digestion, Capex to support people on a ketogenic diet. And you guys all know my incredible... Uh, how much of an incredible fan I am of their product, um, Magnesium Breakthrough, which is seven different magnesium chelates. Um, and they're also expanding their line consi- consistently every year with research and doing incredible products. You guys get hooked up with 10% off all of their products. Head over to buyoptimizers.com and use the code MUSCLE10. One of the hardest things that I think, I don't know if you guys think about this, I think about this a lot, especially when I was an athlete and uh, with my current clients, when to push and when not to push. Do you guys ever think about that? Should I take a day off today? Have I overtrained? Does my body need a day off? Or am I ready to push? Anyone ever, ever think about that? Well, there's a lot that goes into that conversation. And, and the answer is we probably won't leave today with a very concrete answer on how to determine it. But I want to, what I want to impart you with is a thought process, right? So one of the things you guys may notice about me that I do often is I don't like to teach facts, right? I don't like to teach like, like do this, right? I like to like teach you a thought process. I don't know everyone likes to think. Yeah, I want to teach you guys how to apply a thought process to come up with your own decision, right? And here's the reality. It's never perfect. You're not going to be right 100% of the time. You know, I've been doing this stuff for a lot of years now. 25 maybe? And I still think I'm, you know, there's times when I doubt myself or I'm not sure about things. And so what I'm doing then is I'm trying to think about all of the different compounding variables that go into making a decision. And from that information, I want to come up with the best decision necessary for me or for you or for whoever, right? So the more you can start stacking information, the more you can start stacking knowledge around a certain topic allows you to have a greater depth of consideration when coming to your conclusion. Therefore, you know, eventually you become closer and closer to actually the right answer, right? So when it comes to recovery, when it comes to recovery, there's a lot that goes into it, right? There's a lot that goes into like, hey, should I train harder? Should I take a day off? Let me ask you guys this. Raise your hand if you, when you're tired, default to, I'm just going to take a day off. Okay. How about if you're tired, you default, you default to, I'm just going to go sit anyways. The few of those. <laughs> yeah. And again, not, not one is right or wrong. It's just often a personality thing, right? I think in general, I'll tell you what, guys. In general, when you're tired, go anyways. But I'm going to teach you today how to change your, tra- your training if you feel as though you're not recovered. Okay? Let's go into this conversation a little bit. So the, have you, has anyone ever heard of heart rate variability? Actually, I'm going to ask that differently. Has anyone not heard of heart rate variability? Or 
Nobody? Does anyone not know what it is? All right, so heart rate variability. So let's, let's paint a picture for you. In every moment, like right now in this moment, your nervous system is sensing the environment, right? You've got five senses. It's perceiving the environment around you. It's, in, it's perceiving the external environment. It's perceiving the internal environment. So it could be perceiving your heart rate, could be perceiving your breathing rate, could be perceiving your posture, could be perceiving the exercise you just did, the food you just had, the light, it could be perceiving the sound, it could be perceiving uh, a memory of something that keeps replaying in your mind. All those things are being perceived, are being perceived right now by your, your nervous system, okay? That's important to know. In every instant, your nervous system is always taking inventory. So you guys have obviously heard of the conscious and the unconscious mind. So 90% of this sensory infra input goes unconscious, meaning you don't notice. 10% of it is conscious, which is what you notice on average. So you have 90% of the sensory info going on inside your body and about your body or the body around you or the information around you. And uh, your body's trying to make sense of it. Your body's trying to determine what state it needs to create to make sure that you're thriving in this moment, that you're able to live and ultimately perform whatever task you need to in this moment. Does that make sense? So right now, if I were to stand up for, you know, leave my room and go for a run, that nervous system immediately, hopefully, immediately responds and goes, this guy's got to move. We got to mobilize energy. We have to increase body temperature. We want to increase the heart rate. Quick response, right? If I get up and I start running and it's really slow and I'm really achy and it's really hard for me to get moving, the body's really slow to respond. It's a very different type of response at the level of the nervous system. Can you guys see that? Someone jumps up, boom, they run. Someone gets up and they're really slow and they're really, oh God, it hurts. I don't know how to move. And it takes me a few minutes to get moving. This, do you see how those are very, very different responses to the level of the nervous system? One person who moves really fast has a really responsive nervous system. We'll call that a healthy nervous system. The other person who's really slow and it takes them longer to get going. It's not quite as healthy of a nervous system. So the difference there, the person who moves fast, ready to go, and then ready to pounce, they probably have a greater resilience. The nervous system is more effective. It's probably healthier. The person who moves slower in general, maybe not as healthy. Maybe the nervous system isn't as responsive, right? So the, this measure of heart rate variability is really a measure of the responsiveness. Oh, I should also say this. If that person who jumps up and goes for a run and they're sprinting and sprinting and sprinting and they stop and they, they, when they stop, they're, they're out of breath for multiple minutes and it takes the nervous system a long time to slow down, that's very different than if someone stops the run and the nervous system stops down and they're, they're, they're ready pretty quickly. They're recovered pretty quickly. See the difference? It's the ramp up time and the ramp down time. You guys got that? So the ramp up time is a measure is a good measure of the nervous system's ability to, get to, to ramp up fast. The ramp down time is also a measure of the nervous system. Those are two different sides of the nervous system. Okay, so we have the sympathetic side, which is the ramp up side. And then we have the parasympathetic, parasympathetic side, which is the ramp down side. Both of those are very important. And we want to train them both. Right. So when it comes to learning how to train effectively, how to become a more effective human, healthy um, and perform well, we want to be intentional about training both of these things. OK, so an example of how I might train the up, well, maybe I need to be able to do some sprints. Maybe I need to be able to do some bike. Maybe I want my nervous system, my heart rate to get up really, really quick. But as soon as I'm done, I want to consciously train bringing it down. OK, so 
the reason I bring this up, the more you can imagine if someone's like ultra fit, they jump out of the chair, no warm up, they sprint. They don't need a warm up. They're ready to go. As soon as they're done sprinting, I'm good. Sit back down. We can get back to work. Right. That's maybe the ultimate example of someone who's really, really fit and healthy. Their ability to recover, what do you think it is? Good or bad? It's exceptional, right? Their ability to recover is exceptional. If you're that person who can do anything on a dime, who recovers really quick, the likelihood of you wanting or needing a day off is much less in general, right? Your body is quick to recover. As soon as you're done training, your body's into recovery mode, right? So the opposite of that is maybe the person gets going really fast. But when they stop, it takes them a really long time to kind of bring the nervous system back down. This is very common, very, very common. So anyone ever like train and still feel, you know, like not hungry a couple hours later, or they train at night and you can't sleep for many hours later. It's very common that we become overstimulated and the what's called the parasympathetic nervous system doesn't allow us to come down. Very, very common. This is probably most common in our society, especially people in our age demographic. We can get up. We're taking stimulants, taking caffeine, we're training hard. We never make the time to train our body to come back down. So that type of person may burn out a little bit faster, right? These are the type of people who need coffee to get up in the morning. They it takes them a little bit longer to get going. But once they're going, they're going, you know, they're going fast and they have a hard time slowing down. Maybe they can't slow down their brain at night or they stay awake at night. Very, very common. This type of person is is sympathetically oriented. The, the parasympathetic nervous system needs to be trained in order for them to recover. The final, one of the final uh, avatars, there's probably many more, they have a hard time getting started. It takes them a really long time to get started, like, you know, on the order of like multiple minutes before they can go at any uh, effective um, speed. And then they also can't uh, slow down quickly, or you know, maybe they never get a high intensity to begin with but they also can't slow down quickly, meaning all aspects of the nervous system aren't working well. This type of person will need much longer between workouts because their body simply isn't recovering very well, right? depending if they can actually generate any intensity. I bring this up because understanding how your nervous system works is going to be really important to understanding what you should be training. Now, I want to say this again. You can train your ability to get up, the, the sympathetic, and you can and should train your ability to come down. How many of you guys have a post-workout practice where you sit down and you breathe for five minutes? Or you do something that we call as a parasympathetic intervention, which means I sit in the sauna, I breathe, I walk, I do a little bit of like a cool down. Does anyone do a cool down after they train? Okay. If you don't, you should. It's a very good way to, to get your body. So think of it like this. And this is important to think about. In the, in the course of the history of humanity, Throughout time, there would have probably been nothing, I don't think, as physically strenuous day to day as weight training, right? I mean, if you were a slave building, building the pyramids or something, maybe you worked that hard multiple days in a row. But in general, there's not a lot of times throughout the course of humanity where we would have been working that hard that many days in a row. That's a huge amount of stress to your internal system, even though it might not be psychologically stressful. It's a lot of stress to your muscular system, to your nervous system. So that's your body's getting ramped up. There's creating all this damage. So we have to be aware of, am I staying up or am I training my body to come back down? Right? So in our society, there's huge demands put on our, our body and our mind. So most people live up here, right? Where we want to be living. We want to be able to play up here. 
but live down here. Does that make sense, right? We want to be able to play here. Like I want to be able to access this, but I need to be able to live. So I always say it's the warrior. I want to, I want to be able to access the warrior, but I want to live as the monk, right? I want to be able, so that, that's usually a good way to think about it. The warrior and the monk, I need to be able to access those, or I want to be able to access both of them at will. That's the indication of a good, healthy nervous system. So now, how does that directly correlate to whether or not you're deciding to do more or deciding to take a day off? Well, in general, you should start paying attention to where is the current state of my nervous system? Is my nervous system here? Am I in, in a good, good example is where's my breathing rate? Where's my heart rate? Where's my muscle tone? Where's my eye gaze? So what eye gaze means is like, am I really focused? Am I, is my, are my eyes moving fast? Is my brain moving really, really fast? Or is it a little bit more slow? My heart rate's a little slower. My breathing rate's a little slower. My muscle tone's a little bit less, right? That's an indication of where am I? So if you see this sympathetic and parasympathetic, if you see people as being somewhere on the continuum of this sympathetic and parasympathetic spectrum, you want to place yourself somewhere along the spectrum and have an idea of where you exist in this moment in time. There's definitely a genetic component and there's definitely an environmental component. Okay. So some of you, when I say a genetic component, some of you were born completely chilled out, right? From the time you're young, you maybe just move a little bit slowly. It's kind of like island pace, right? It's like, yeah, man, I get to chill out. That's some people are born that way. Some people are raised that way. Um, and other people are born the completely opposite, right? They're just like, you know, from the time they're young, they're maniacs, they're bouncing off the walls, just complete speed demons, right? And that's a, that's a, that's a nervous system, a result of the nervous system, right? So someone who's really slow, that's parasympathetic, they probably have a hard time getting going. Someone who's really, really um, fast and moving all the time, they have a hard time slowing down. And you exist somewhere in the middle of these, these two spectrums. Everyone has both of them in them. It's just a matter of which one is dominant based on your genetics and based on your history, okay? History, lifestyle, whichever one you want to say. So knowing where you exist on that spectrum is very important. So if you tend to be more sympathetic in nature, the, I, I'm certain most of the people that raise their hands would be the ones who say, that's me, would be the ones that say, I also choose to do the workout. As I looked around, the ones who maybe you can self-identify as like, yeah, you know, when I'm tired and I'm not sure if I should train or not train, I choose to train. Those people are usually the ones who are sympathetic in nature, meaning they're, they're the fast-paced ones. Their natural default is go, 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 right? The other, other side of it, people who are like, I decide, usually decide to stay home. Their either natural default or their current default is more parasympathetic in nature. They're going to choose the recovery modality more. They're going to choose the, the moving forward modality. So let's not confuse being parasympathetic with the lack of motivation or the lack of drive. That's not necessarily the same thing. So drive is, is a result of dopamine, right? And so dopamine is the neurotransmitter of pursuit. So when I want to pursue something, my body starts releasing dopamine. Example, let's say you see a potential mate across the room. Like your brain starts, like when you start moving toward them, you, your brain gets like that, or maybe you move toward them and you get the positive feedback. You're like, oh, they're looking at me like, great, positive feedback, dopamine, right? Or let's say you're moving toward food. It's hard to explain in current society because in the past it would have been 
oh, I see an animal or I see a tree. Like I'm going to get a good feeling when I move toward that. Now that we get dopamine from social media, like when, when someone gives the reason you guys get notifications on your phone is because companies know that you're getting a dopamine spike when you get that, when you get that notification, that ping on your phone, that's giving you dopamine. I got a text. I got a, I got a like, I got a comment. That's giving me dopamine. Your brain's like Pavlov's dog. You're getting trained with these little bursts of dopamine. That's one of the reasons why I think most people in modern society lack motivation is not because they actually lack motivation. It's because they're getting instant gratification from so many different places that it, they never allow the dopamine to cut. Like so the dopamine to almost um, accumulate is not the right word, but like think of dopamine as like you have this baseline of dopamine, right? Let's say you have this baseline of dopamine at, at some arbitrary number of units. Then every time I get that little bump, it goes up. But there's always a refractory period where it goes down. So in, in the relative proportion that it goes up, it's also going to go down in equal and opposite proportion. So we get this little bump and then we go, then it, it goes down and we feel not so good about ourselves for a minute. So what do we do when we do that? We go look for the phone again. Oh, where's my phone? I want another bump of dopamine. Oh, where's my, you know, food? I want another bump of dopamine. So we're getting this little spike and then it goes down. And so we end up chasing these little spikes of dopamine. Rather than trying to to like pursue long-term goals for big hits of dopamine or ultimately serotonin at that point, we, we're just chasing these little like yeah, these little instant, these little little bouts of instant gratification. And I think that's often confused with being parasympathetic in nature. They're not quite the same. So someone who's parasympathetic in nature is just it's it's not uh, it's not lack of motivation, just a little bit more chilled out. Like I'll tell you, I'm parasympathetic in nature and I don't lack motivation. Like my, my, um, my default is like, uh, I don't know how I would explain it. Again, I think I've changed throughout my life. I'm being honest. My, my, my um, nervous system has changed a lot. I think my nature is parasympathetic, meaning I was born with a parasympathetic nature, but I was thrown into a highly sympathetic environment as a child. So imagine being born with a very, parasympathetic nature, meaning I'm like totally calm, right? I think my nature is very, very calm, but I was thrown into like what I sometimes call a war zone, right? You know, that's, that's a metaphor. It wasn't a literal war zone, but it was chaos. It was just utter chaos seven days a week. And so what chaos means is like alcoholism and anger and fighting and breaking shit and like zero support, zero like uh, nurturing, we'll say. Very little nurturing. I don't say zero, very little. So my nervous system then was constantly in a state of high alert. Like there was someone trying to eat me or beat me or whatever, right? So my nervous system just lived there. So that became my default for, I don't know, what, 15, 20 years. And it wasn't until I learned to that I could influence that, that I learned to go back to my natural nature. So I think that's the difference is like, you could take a you could take a calm animal and throw them into a you know a cage with a bunch of lions and eventually they're going to figure out either I fucking step up or I'm going to die. That was kind of what my childhood was like. So yeah, so I think that's the difference. Learning how to like uh, learning that you can change your nervous system and that you are in control of it. And for me, it was like necessity, right? It's like if I didn't learn to control it, I was going to have a heart attack. I don't know, man. The way I, the way I explain it is like a it's like a freight train versus a speed train. It's one way to explain it, but it, it's it's not the it's not the inability or the in, the lack of desire to do something. Very different. There's definitely a correlation to being sympathetic in nature and 
having elevated amounts of cortisol and, and adrenaline. So let, so here, let me explain the physiology of this behind, behind this for a second. So if I'm sympathetic in nature, when you think sympathetic, think stress. This is like the amp, the, I want to like amp up, right? Sympathetic is like getting me amped up, stress. So as soon as that happens, what's actually happening inside my body is an increase of cortisol and adrenaline systemically. Some people just naturally have a higher amount of cortisol and adrenaline systemically. These are the type of people who tend to run a little bit faster. That's very normal. People with parasympathetic in nature tend to not have as much uh, adrenaline. They may have as much cortisol. They may not have as much adrenaline, but they may have some more GABA. So GABA, for example, is, are like the brakes, whereas adrenaline and dopamine are the gas pedal. GABA is more like the brakes. So someone could have elevated cortisol and elevated GABA. And, you know, be relative, like, I'm, I think I'm probably more parasympathetic in nature now, which means, my, which means I probably have more GABA prevalent in my brain and my nervous system. GABA, like I say, is like the brakes to the nervous system, slows you down. So that is, is a um, reflection of my nervous system nature that could, both could, have an impact on how my body tolerates nutrients. So someone who has elevated cortisol and adrenaline if it stays chronically elevated, they could become insulin resistant, cortisol resistant, and ultimately accumulate uh, insulin resistance. However, if it's got natural rhythms, if cortisol naturally goes up and comes down, which it always should, then that wouldn't happen. So, um, yeah, in, in general, there, there, I don't think is a direct correlation, but there probably there, there may be something. There, like there may be something there. If I want to become more of one or the other, I could absolutely train it. But I still have a nature, right? Like I'm not going to become, I'm not going to become sympathetic in nature based on my training. Like your nervous system, you're not going to change the state of your nervous system. It's like, it's like you're not going to change the architecture of your muscle. Like you can't change that. You can change the expression of it, but you're probably not going to change the nature. If that makes sense? Yeah. Uh, if I can go a little bit deeper on that, but you can definitely train them, but, but you're probably never going to become pure one or the other, right? You're not going to, it's like trying to change your, your blonde hair brown or blonde hair black. Like you can, you can change it temporarily, but it's probably always going to want to go back. So coming back to do I, do I, do I not train, right? Um, the, I would say if almost, almost always the answer should be, yes, I'm going to train, but let's say, how do I adjust my training in such a way that it's going to complement my body and, and allowing me to move forward rather than back. So all training is stress. It's different amplitudes and different durations, right? So different height and different length, ultimately, amplitude and duration. So you will, you will want to ask yourself, what is my body um, willing or able to do right now more effectively? And realizing you don't, when, when, you're, when you're questioning whether or not you should train, you don't want both amplitude and duration. You may want one or the other. So um, sometimes when I'm, um, let's say I'm in a muscle building phase, I might go into the gym and do heavy, very low volume workouts, high amplitude, low duration, knowing that I'm trying to improve my strength. I'm trying to allow my nervous system a little bit more time to recover. I don't want to lose my muscle. So I'm going to get a high amplitude, low duration workout. If I want to increase my fat burn, and that's kind of my goal, I can do a low amplitude, long duration workout, which is kind of like, um, like we think like steady state cardio almost, 
long duration, very minimal amounts of required recovery. Same with the high amplitude, low duration, right? Minimal amounts of recovery because you're not really straining the musculars. So here's the way to think about this. There's three systems in the body. There's more, but let's say three primary systems that we can stress when we're, when we're talking about exercise. We can stress the nervous system, the muscular system, and what we call like the energy system. So the body's ability to produce energy, right? That's not really a system, but that's a simple way to think of it. Like, am I, am I putting an energy demand on the body? So nervous system, muscular system, energy demand. So which of these, which uh, of these three systems is being taxed when I'm training? The answer should be one, not more, and even minimal one. So if I'm doing, let's say I'm coming in and I'm, I'm, I want a lower uh, intensity, lower overall fatigue style workout, and I do this high amplitude, low volume workout, low duration, then I'm just challenging the nervous system a little bit, but not a huge amount, right? If I did, if I did high amplitude and high duration, then I challenge the nervous system a lot. Whereas if I'm doing this long duration, short, low amplitude, there's not a lot of challenge to the muscular system, not a lot of challenge to the nervous system, a little bit of challenge to the energy systems. You guys get that? So if we want to actually get the body to adapt, we want to subject our body to high amounts of these three or at least high amounts of two. I think of them like volume knobs. Which volume knobs do I have turned up? The nervous system, the muscular system, or the energy system? And if I have all three of them up, that's a huge amount of stress. If I have all three of them down, that's no stress. So I want to learn to play these things like music. Nervous system, strength, muscular system, uh, energy. So we train the nervous system with high, high load. We train the muscular system with load and volume. We train the energy system with um, duration and ultimately a little bit of intensity. The greatest way to access either end of the nervous system is breathing, effective breathing. So I want to be able to breathe um, to increase sympathetic output. One of two things can happen. It's the inhale, that's the breath of the sympathetic nervous system, and it's, it's increased rate, both inhale and exhale, right? So if I'm, if I'm doing, my nervous system just went up, my heart rate just skyrocketed, right? My heart rate probably went up 20 beats. If I go through my nose for 30 seconds, my heart rate's going up, my sympathetic nervous system's turning on. If I go out slowly, my parasympathetic nervous system turning on. I'm always I'm doing it through my mouth for so you guys can hear it. Always do it through your nose. That's one. Two, visual system. So when I'm when I'm narrow focused, my sympathetic nervous system is on. When I'm paras when, I, when I'm peripheral, my parasympathetic nervous system is on. Here's a way to think about it. If I was hunting in an open field, I'm trying to see the whole field, my nervous system is completely chilled out. As soon as I see my target, boom. Like my nervous system goes. Whoo. Zero on the target, heart rate starts going up a little bit, bang, I'm going to be ready to shoot, right? Just an example. But so that's how it's so a visual system. Then we can look at a muscular system. So muscle tone is very correlated with sympathetic and parasympathetic. So if I have an increased tone, my sympathetic nervous system is turned on. So I can literally intentionally increase tone, right? I can, I can squeeze and increase tone. I'm increasing blood pressure. I'm increasing heart rate, increasing tone. That'll drive up the sympathetic nervous system. You could also do um, anything that's like fast, anything that's explosive. You ever heard of people like, why do we start workouts with compound movements often? Because we're exciting the, the, the sympathetic nervous system. Why do we finish with breathing and meditation and saunas? Because we're stimulating the parasympathetic. 
Thanks for listening to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. For full episode guides with important takeaways and bonus resources, head over to muscleintelligence.com slash learn. If you enjoy the show and find value in the content, please subscribe, share this podcast with at least one person you know and love who would benefit from this content, leave us a review, and support our sponsors. You can see the full list of show sponsors, discounts, and get exclusive Muscle Intelligence deals at muscleintelligence.com slash resources. To join our private community and get VIP access to my master classes, upcoming muscle camps, and other resources that we don't post anywhere else, head to muscleintelligence.com slash community. Most of all, thank you very much for your trust, for your time, and most importantly, for supporting health and fitness in this world. Enjoy your day. And I look forward to seeing you here next week. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.